to Christ's saving work on the cross and his resurrection is to come to him as a disciple. As a disciple. And finally, verses 22 to 24, we're going to see that transformation happens when we consistently, day by day, practice putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And we're going to talk about what that means. So first, let's, let's jump in. Verses 17 to 19, Paul emphatically and strongly says it is inconsistent for those who claim to know Christ to live like those who don't know God. Look at verses 17 and 19. Let's read it again. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Right off the bat, Paul says these words, I say to you and I testify in the Lord. Paul wants to heighten our sense that we want to listen to what he has to say here. Because Paul not only says, I say this to you, you must no longer live that way. But he says, I say and I testify in the Lord. The New American Standard Bible, actually, instead of, instead of the words, I testify in the Lord, it says, I affirm together with the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, I say, but I'm only saying this because God says this. Right? Paul is just echoing what God says. I say, and I'm affirming together with God, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. There's a must there. There's no suggestion here. He's saying we must not live like the Gentiles do. Now, Paul is talking to largely Gentile audience. So this word, when he says you must not live like the Gentiles do, he means the nations of the world who don't know God. Another way that Gentiles is translated another place in the New Testament is pagans. Okay, so people who don't know God. You must not live like people who don't know God. That makes sense, doesn't it? So why? I mean, it makes sense to us, but Paul wants to... He wants to just really impress this upon our souls. There is something so incongruent about claiming Christ and living just like everybody else who doesn't. So he gives us seven reasons why living like this is inconsistent. And he, des- and he does this by describing what these people are like. Okay, Gentiles, people who don't know God. Okay, it's not like it's us against them. He's just saying, people out there that don't know God, they live this way and, and they live this way because of this. Listen to what he says. They live in the futility of their minds. Their minds, their minds are full of folly and foolishness and vanity. It's not that they're intellectually stupid. That's not the point. There are many people who are brilliant, but because they reject God, their minds are futile. They are darkened in their understanding, he goes on to say. Their, their, their thoughts and their feelings are darkened. He goes on to say they are alienated from the life of God. You must not live like people that are alienated from the life of God. Right? They, they are estranged. There is this infinite chasm between those who don't know God and God. 
And those who claim Christ must not live like that. They are ignorant of the truth, right? They're full of ignorance. They don't know the truth. They are still blinded to the truth about Jesus. And yet we claim, most of us here, and maybe all of us here, claim to know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They are blinded to that, and so they live accordingly. They have hard hearts. We must not live like those who don't know God, who have hard hearts. In fact, Ezekiel says their hearts are like hearts of stone. And prior to you and I coming to Christ, we had hearts of stone. But God did a miracle in our lives, and he took out the heart of stone, and he put in a heart of flesh, and he put his spirit within us. So we must not live like those who have hardened hearts, stony hearts, because they don't know God. He goes on to say they are callous. This almost seems like it's a redundant with they have hard hearts, but I mean, you know what a callus is, right? It's something, you know, if you work with your hands and you get calluses underneath your fingers or something like that, it's a, it's a place where you, you lose feeling after, after a period of time. It gets, it gets hard there and you kind of lose feeling. I think that's what Paul wants to draw out here is that don't live like people who, who don't know God because they, they live a certain way and there's no remorse and there's no pain or guilt over the way that they live. So don't live like people who don't know God. He goes on to say, and they are greedy to practice every kind of sin. So it's totally inconsistent. I would even say inconceivable for someone who has received the blessings of Christ. For someone to stand up and say, I have been forgiven all my sins and God loves me with an everlasting love. I have been adopted into his family. I have eternal life. And to walk out and live like everybody else does who doesn't even know God. It's inconceivable. It's crazy. (laughs) It's insane. It makes no sense. The Christian is someone who is justified, By the blood of Jesus, his righteousness clothing us, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so we must not live like those who are not justified and don't have the Spirit of God. Pornography, violent anger, fornication, these things are rampant among those who don't know God. They shouldn't be among those who claim Christ, should they? Should they? It shouldn't be. Lying, stealing, slander, gossip, sexual impurity of all kind. These things are rampant among those who don't know God. But for those who receive Christ, it shouldn't be that way, should it? Complaining, Bitterness, unforgiveness, addictions to alcohol and drugs, these things are rampant to those, for those who don't know God. But they shouldn't be for those who do claim to know Christ. Now, Paul is not saying that Christians never struggle with these things. He's not saying that. And I don't want you to hear me say that. 
but rather he says you must no longer walk, right? You must no longer live in these things like those that don't know God live in these things. And Paul is clearly not saying, and I don't want you to hear me saying, that we should be unwelcoming to lost people who are living in these things. We, of course, should be and give them the hope of the gospel. Paul's biggest reason we should not live like the unbelieving world comes in verse 20. So jumping forward from verses 17 and 19 into verse 20. And verse 20 says this. So after saying, you must not live like this because they do these things. They are this way. So you must not live like that. Here's what Paul says in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. You did not learn Christ this way. You were not educated this way in Christ. That's what the word learns means to be educated. In fact, it's, a, it's the, the verb form of the word disciple in the Greek. So it's, you weren't discipled by Christ in this way, right? You didn't learn Jesus in this way. Verse 21 goes on to say that or Paul you know, introduces the real possibility that those who are reading this letter for the first time Right When it was distributed to the church at Ephesus and the other churches around, he introduces the possibility that some who are hearing this really aren't even saved at all. Right? Verse 21 says, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So Jesus says, but you didn't learn Jesus this way. You didn't learn Christ this way. This isn't what, how you came to Jesus and are, were educated by Jesus and discipled by Christ. That is, if you have learned about him, if you have been taught in him, if you have received the truth that is in Jesus. I think what Paul is saying here is that before we can be set free from the darkness and futility of living like those who don't know God, you and I must hear and respond to the voice of Christ in the gospel. We must hear and respond to the gospel. Jesus addressing us in the gospel. And Paul, I think, here says, to respond to the voice of Jesus is to enter the school of discipleship and sit under him as teacher and master. The whole question of whether or not someone can receive Jesus as Savior and not have him as Lord is ludicrous. It's crazy. He is either Savior and Lord or he is neither for you. So to respond to the gospel is to respond in such a way that we come and we sit under Christ as a disciple to learn from him and to follow him and to obey him. I, I thought about starting off with this question, but it just kind of came to me. Maybe I'll do it now. If I were to ask, not question this anecdote, if I were to ask you, don't answer this at all, please, but if I were to, if I were to stand up here and say, <clears throat> are you a Christian? Um, probably most everyone here, maybe every single person here would say, yes, I am a Christian. If I were to say, are you a believer? We kind of know what that means, right? Believer in Jesus. We believe the gospel. I'm a believer. Most here, again, without any hesitation, maybe everyone here would say, yes, I am a believer 
If I were to ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? You might pause for a moment. Some, of us, some might pause for a moment and say, well, that sounds a little more serious. Right? It's easy to say I'm a Christian. I mean, yeah, I mean, I believed a long time ago. I got baptized. I did this thing, right? I'm a, am I a believer? Yes, I can tell you the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. And if I trust in him, I can go to heaven. But are you a disciple? When you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and responded, did you respond like a disciple who sits and learns Christ, right? Is going to the school of discipleship, going to the school of Jesus where, when it says learns Christ, Jesus is the subject and being taught in him, Jesus is the teacher, I have a friend, uh, an old friend, I don't talk to him much anymore, and, and who um, had this crazy notion about what receiving the grace of God meant. And over a period of time, of roughly 10 years or so, there was concern, there was uh, prayer for him, um, just because he had, I would say this, twisted view of grace. Being forgiven, being set free by Christ, being justified, God not remembering our sins anymore because Christ took them on the cross. For him, that meant he could live the way he wanted to without any repercussions. Well, nothing that major happened until about a year ago when he left his wife and his children for a much younger woman, divorced them, and things just blew up. When we respond to the gospel, Paul's saying here, Assuming you have heard about him, we come to him as a disciple, as someone who is learning and growing and obeying and trusting our teacher, our Savior, and our Lord. So when we enter this school of discipleship, what's the first lesson we're given? What's the first assignment we're given? You need a change of clothes. You and I need to change our clothes. We need to put off our old filthy garments and put on something new. That's what Paul says here. Verses 22 to 24, listen to what he says. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, which is created in the likeness of God and true holiness and righteousness. You need a change of clothes. You need to put off the old self and put on, you need to put off the old self and put on the new self. Only a disciple can do this. Only a true Christian who is coming to Christ as a disciple can do this. Because only those people have a new self to put on. So we're to put off the old self. What is this old self? Well, verse 25, the very next verse after our text this morning helps us to understand this. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, the words put away, 
In the Greek, is the same as put off. So having put off or put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So having put off lying and falsehood, right? So to put off the old self is to put off old practices that we used to do. The old self are the practices, the actions we used to do, the things we used to do. Colossians 3, 8 and 9 also help us when it says, again, put away. It's this idea of putting off or putting away, same phrase. Put away things like malice and anger and slander and rage. So it's not only the actions or practices that were to put off or put away, but it's also the underlying emotions and attitudes that are to be put off and put away. So the old self are the actions and practices and emotions and attitudes that are in accordance with who we used to be that must be put off. Let me, put it, let me say it a little differently. So the old self that must be put off is the package of practices, actions, emotions, and attitudes that used to make up who I was. And Paul does not say, polish these up, make them look nicer. He says, put them off. Put off the old self. Put it off. And then he says, and we're to put on the new self. Well, what is the new self? Well, it's Colossians 3, again, verse 12, helps us understand this when it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The new self is this package or bundle of practices, actions, emotions, and attitudes that Jesus has now called us to become and walk in. Put off that garbage that conforms with who you used to be and put on all this stuff, these actions and attitudes and emotions that Christ says, become this, be this, put this on. You and I must have a change of clothes. It is not optional. We must put off the old self. We must put on the new self. We need our moral clothes changed or we will not be dressed for heaven. I'm going to say that again. We need our moral clothes changed or we will not be dressed for heaven. There's a parable in Matthew 22 about a marriage feast. And this king sends out his servants to go call all people and give this massive invitation, open invitation, whoever would come, come to this marriage feast, right? And the place is full. The banquet hall is full. And the king is walking around perusing, you know, kind of looking out over the people, and he sees somebody there who doesn't have wedding clothes on. And he goes to this person, he says, why don't you have wedding clothes on? The man had no response for him. He was just silent. And the king said to his servants, bind this man hand and foot and throw him out to the place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I fear that there will be many churchgoers who will be shocked when the Lord comes 
when he comes again or when we stand before him, whichever happens first, when we, when he comes, let's put it that way, who think they have responded to the wedding feast invitation but will show up without wedding clothes on. John Piper said, many want the hope of heaven but don't want to dress for heaven. So you need a change of clothes. When Jesus says, change your clothes, don't try to straighten up your old tattered collar on your old shirt. Try to make it look a little nicer. Don't shine your old filthy shoes or tuck in your old torn shirt or iron your pants that have holes all through them. No, when he says, put off those ragged clothes, he means put them, put it off, put them off. He means things like this, put off your addiction to porn. Put it off. Put off your attitudes of complaining and murmuring and grumbling. Put it off. Put off your love of money. Put it off. Put off your anger and your bitterness and your unforgiveness. Don't try to make it look nicer. When he says put off that garment, he means put these things off, these actions, these practices, these attitudes, these emotions. Put off anger and rage. Put off slander Put off gossip. Put off all of these things. Put off doubt and anxiety and fear. Do you know those things are sin too? Those things are in accordance with our old man. Put these things off. And put on brand new clothes. Put on joy and love and kindness and humility. Now, why does Paul, <clears throat> I found this interesting as I thought through this, why does Paul use the imagery of putting off and putting on, this imagery of clothing? Now, I mean, put off those old garments and put on new clothes. Why doesn't he just say, stop doing bad things and start doing good things? Right? Stop doing this list of 10 things or 20 things or maybe 100 things and start doing this list of 10 or 20 or 100 things. Why doesn't he do that? Well, it's because Christianity is not a moral self-improvement program. It is supernatural. <laughs> and it's supernatural through and through. But that doesn't mean we don't have, we're not involved in this or we're not active in participating with God but it is not just some moral self-improvement program. I mean, you know the books, right? 20 Steps to Freedom, 36 Days to Your Best Life Now, 40 Days to a Purpose-Filled Life, right? That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternal Son of God, came down. I was talking to a young guy on Friday I mean, just um, Reed and I were talking to him for a bit. Reed had to leave, so I visited with him a bit longer. But um, new agey, you know, kind of um, all is one, everything's good, you know, 
this whole thing. And, but he kept talking about how he needed to improve himself. He needed to change himself. He was going to change himself and change others and change the world. And, and it just made me think about, no, God came down because we couldn't and we can't. Jesus came, right? He lived a life we could never live. He died on the cross, dying the death we don't want to die in our place for our sins. He rose again, and he offers us new life, a new self. So Paul does not say, just stop doing these things, start doing these things. And we see why, in a clear way, as we start to compare and contrast the old self and the new self. In a a typical self-help book or program, you would simply take what, what Paul calls here the old self and try to improve it. There's a, there's a book that came out. And I'm, if you read this and enjoyed it, I'm sorry. Um, I have not read it. Joel Osteen wrote a book, Your Best Life Now or something like that, or A Better You, A Better You, A Better You. And I just thought, what about a new you? <laughs> what about a brand new one? <laughs> that sounds better to me. <laughs> I, don't like the per- I don't like my old self. I don't want to improve that. I just want a brand new me. And that's what we're offered Okay, but this old self, okay, listen to, listen to how the old self is described. It corresponds with our former life. Prior to Christ coming into our life, prior to Jesus invading our lives, the old self corresponds with that. It's corrupted through sinful desires, and it is based on deceit. It's based on lies. The new self, however, When we enter the school of discipleship and we come to Jesus as a disciple and he gives us a new self, listen to how this is described. It is created in the likeness of God. It is created in righteousness and holiness. And it is based on truth and not lies. So if you are here today and you have responded to Christ by entering the school of discipleship, whether it was 10 years ago or six months ago or today, and you are happily sitting under Jesus as your teacher, God has created a new you. I say that again. If you trust in Christ, and you are a disciple, happily coming to him, saying, you're the teacher, you're the Lord, I'm the disciple, I thank you for all that you've done. And if you do that, it's a miracle of God, okay? You can't do that on your own. But if he's done that in you and you've come to him, he has created a brand new you. And this new you comes with new practices, new attitudes, new emotions, new actions. Think about this. We are called to put on the new person, but God creates the new person. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new have come. We are called to be holy in the New Testament, are we not? We're called to be holy, as God is holy. But God creates even the holiness. You and I are called to do good works, aren't we? Jesus said, let your light shine, so that others see good works in you. And give God glory. But God, and this is so strange, God 
even creates the good works that we're to walk in. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. For we are the workmanship of God. We are his creation. We are his work. Isn't that amazing? We are the workmanship of God created in Christ as a new person. And we are created for good works. Listen to this though. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why does God do it this way? So there's no bragging on our part. I made myself new. I did these great works. I have made myself holy. No, I mean, we certainly walk in these things, right? Obedience is required. Trust is required. But God creates the new person. God creates the holiness. God creates the good works. So do you see why Paul cannot just say, improve yourself? Or even, you're saved. Now improve yourself. Or stop doing bad things and start doing good things. No, in this discipleship program, God creates the new person with all of its emotions, attitudes, and actions. And we are called to put it on like I put on my shirt today. Now, a valid question and something is, how do we put on the new self? How do we do this? I think the key for us is verse 23. I think 23 is kind of the linchpin of this passage, I think. Verse 23 says, right, so it says, put off the old self and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's verse 23, and put on the new self. So how do we put on the new self? Well, let me put it this way. How do we put off and put on? What, what, are, the, what are the actions we take? Right? Because we are told to do this. The, verse, the, the key verse is 23 where it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here's, here's how I think it works. You and I are to continually fill our minds with eternal heavenly truth. Right? Fill our minds with what is true, with truth. It may seem rather trite to simply say, read your Bibles and everything else will change. So I don't want to say it that way. But of course, we get truth from the scriptures, don't we? Jesus prayed for you and I and his disciples. Sanctify them, which is really what we're we're talking about, sanctification today, aren't we? Being changed. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So let me ask you this question. What is your mind being filled with on a daily basis? It is being filled. I can tell you what the average American's mind is being filled with every day. Hours and hours of television and social media. I'm not saying you. That's just the stats, right? Stats say that like something like 35 to 40 hours a week of television by the average person in our country. And if that is what, if, if there's that enormous amount of secular, tele, just frivolous or secular information just coming in, how are we going to have a mind that is being renewed according to truth? I'll get off my soapbox now, okay? 
I enjoy watching television. I enjoy watching a good game or a movie. Or I'm not, so I'm not saying get rid of your TV or anything like that. So here's a... Check out these verses, okay? Psalm 1, who does it say is the man that is like a healthy, strong tree planted by streams of water that's bearing fruit and it's not being blown around by, I mean, it might be blown around, but it's not being destroyed by a big windstorm that comes up. Who is this man? It's the man who meditates on God's word day and night. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul says this, um, our outer man is, being wa- is wasting away, right? Our, this outer body wasting away. Our inner man, though, I, I think that relates to the new man, the new self, is being renewed day after day. And then verse 18, he says, as we look, not to the things that we can see with our eyes, but to the unseen things. For the things that we see are transient. They're here today, gone tomorrow, right? Even if they last 50, 60 years, it's transient in light of eternity. But the unseen things are eternal. How is our inner man renewed day after day? By looking to these glorious unseen realities and truths that belong to us in Christ. Think of Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, Paul, ending this letter near the end, he says, finally, brothers. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and listen to what it says, and the God of peace will be with you. Or Colossians 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Listen to this. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life, your new life, is hidden with Christ in God. You and I, how do we become, how do we put off and put on by having our minds renewed. Very similar to Romans 12 too. Be transformed. That's what we're talking about, right? Being transformed, being changed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't throw your mind away when you come to church. Put it on, okay? So we need to have our minds filled with truth. Eternal truths, and here's what happens, I think. Here's what the Holy Spirit does, I think. When our minds are full of truth, he pushes out the old self with all of its deceitful desires and lusts and practices, those things that we feel like is going to give us a fix or let off some steam and blast somebody, right? It pushes that stuff out and ushers in the new self which is created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to give one quick example here as we close. How does, so very practically, how does this work? Well, Ephesians 4, 32, we'll probably spend a Sunday uh, in this verse in a few weeks, but Ephesians 4, 32 gives us such a clear, and I, I don't want to make it sound like this is, this is not, Easy. I don't want to make it sound 
like just, isn't this a piece of cake? It's not. But this shows us how this works. Ephesians 4.32, listen to this verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That sounds like new self, right? And it says this, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Isn't that what we're talking about? Be kind to one another, right? Being rude, being short, being bitter and unforgiving, that is, that is the old self. We want to be kind, tenderhearted, full of compassion, forgiving, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. I love how he's so specific. Just how God, not just in some all-benevolent kind of way, just kind of sweeps sin under the rug or blows it away or something. No, God in Christ has forgiven you. Here's how I think that works. You have people that hurt you and harm you. And you're tempted to hold on to a grudge and be bitter and unforgiving and not extend forgiveness. Where do you go? You go to the truth of God's gracious, totally undeserving forgiveness of you. And I think about my life and the mountains of sin that I've committed against God. And the fact that it has been wiped away all of a sudden makes forgiveness possible. And I would even say makes it not easy, necessary, possible, leads us to forgive. So here today, if you're thinking, I want to be changed. I want to be more like Christ. This is hope for us, right? Because we want to be like Jesus. We, the true Christians want to be like Jesus. So there's hope for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, oh God. You are worthy, Lord, of our lives, of a life that, well, like Paul says, living a life worthy of the call to which we've been called. You are worthy of that, O oh God. May your kingdom come. Pray you'd invade here by the power of your spirit to make these things that were spoken today real and true. God, I pray for some here today who maybe have never really come to you as a disciple, that they would bow the knee in glad, humble submission to Jesus as Savior and Lord and Teacher and Master. God, we want to be changed. We want to be like your Son. Help us, God, as we seek to put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and put on the new self. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay seated for just a few more moments. Um, Matt's going to come up and lead our time celebrating the Lord's Supper.